Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm looking forward to my conversation with the two Davids, David Messinger, CEO of Leon Leon, David Emerson, Senior Vice President, Global E-Commerce for Seco Logistics. Thanks to you both for joining me. And I'm going to call David Messinger, David, and David Emerson, Dave, just to keep myself straight in the audience, less confused. Is that okay with you guys? Good, good shout. It works. We're that, used sounds, to that. that sounds great. Well, thanks. I'm sure you are. Well, thanks for taking the time to have the conversation today. Let me put a little bit of context around what we're going to talk about. E-commerce firms clearly are looking to expand their businesses cross-border and for the obvious reasons to grow the top line. But here we are in August of 2022, where we see a very turbulent world. Geopolitical tensions, including the ongoing war in Ukraine, create supply chain disruptions, a strong dollar, which influences trade economics and the ongoing supply chain constraints as a result of demand exceeding supply. So, David Messinger, I am going to start with you. Give us a snapshot of what the more than 1 million sellers on your platform are doing right now and how different that might be from what they were doing maybe seven, eight months ago. Sure. Thanks, Karen. Uh, Pleasure to be here. So I think really we've got to take a two-year view of kind of understanding where our cross-border sellers are now. It's actually more like 1.4 million uh, we work with. And you go back two years in Q4 of 2020 was peak peak season for cross-border e-commerce. You know, e-commerce was growing at 32% year on year for Q4 uh, with the effects of the pandemic. Um, then we went through 2021. The first half of the year was similar to 2020. The second half, things stabilized. You know, lockdowns eased, a lot of behavior changed, people keen to get back in the real world as well as real fiscal retail as well as online. So end of last year, I think, People were adjusting to that. Things had stabilized. There was still, we were back more to the strong, long-term growth trend of e-commerce. And it, we'd worked through the supply chain challenges in terms of having the right goods, having capacity to some degree. But I think one of the big things at the end of this end of last year was the pricing on uh, logistics. Uh, you know, when you have containers hitting twenty thousand uh, dollars for shipments, and you've got a lot of goods that are not high-value goods. That is that impacts the basic economics for all cross-border sellers and actually suppressed, I think, what could have been better growth in the tail end of last year. At the end of last year, sellers were still focused, I would say, largely on the channels they've been working in over the previous several years. And obviously, Amazon is the biggest uh, e-commerce platform, and they hadn't. They've been focused on getting the right goods, getting the logistics sorted out, get them into FBA. Uh, but they hadn't really looked beyond that. It was dealing with rapid growth through COVID. What we see now is that their focus has changed. Uh, part of that change is the economic situation. It is much more uncertain and actually a lot more negative. So I think the outlook for the rest of the year is more challenging than it has been for the last few years. But deeper than that, I think a lot of sellers have recognized they need to focus not just on growth, uh, which was the focus, they've got to focus on diversification and resilience. Diversification meaning it's not enough just to rely on Amazon, on any one platform. You need to explore all of your options. One of the big shifts is companies wanting to build their own brand, go direct to consumer, 
using Shopify, one of those platforms, rather than the big traditional marketplaces. So I think diversification of channel, diversification of markets. Uh, so if they focus on the US, expanding to Europe, expanding to Japan, other markets. And then it's resilience. It's really figuring out, is their business robust uh, in terms of have they got the right production, the right product selection? Uh, marketing tools is a key challenge. The e-commerce market is much more saturated than it was two years ago. So they've really got to develop a new set of capabilities uh, to give them resilience. And one of the key parts of that is uh, the logistics, the supply chain. And that's where David and I have been working on how we, you know, how we can bring together the two threads of both moving the money um, and moving the goods, the two fundamental things in any cross-border business. For sure. So I'm, I'm going to, it's a great segue to David, aka Dave, for the purposes of this, of this session. Um, I think David made a good point that, um, you know, resilience, product market fit, pricing, that, that's all a function of supply chain operations. And I think every business is rethinking that part of their business right now for a variety of reasons, including, I mean, there, there is this on again, off again, um, you know, closing of China's borders due to COVID and other macroeconomic factors, which are influencing the flow of goods. Um, how are businesses thinking about refashioning their supply chains? And as they think about that, pulling back, you know, who wins and who loses in the short and long term as a result of that rethink? Yeah, th thanks, Karen. Um, yeah, and, and uh, nice, nice to be here too. Um, yeah, I mean, it, exactly as, as David said, it's been it's been very uh, very challenging in the last well, certainly in the last two years, but but certainly we've seen the the, re the reliance on on China sourcing for many of our customers has has been even more challenging for them. So in terms of how our customers are retuning for the for the future, th there's there's a couple of key elements of that really. The first one is. I think paying a lot more attention to forecasting and and trying to get a handle on you know what they what they really that true line between supply and demand and and, and paying more attention to that because I think the last few years pre-pandemic with the kind of the globalization and the global ability just to to source and to buy pretty much you know unhindered from China and other markets just just lulled companies into that false sense of security. And I think that we've seen through the last couple of years that that's not how it is. As soon as, you know, that market shuts down for, for whatever reason, this time it was a pandemic six, eight years ago, it was a, you know, it was a, a, a volcano in Iceland and stuff like that, you know, that kind of brought global air cargo to a halt for two weeks. Um, it, it's made companies realise that, that they need to get better at having a plan B. Uh, and, and so the plan B is forecasting, so it's just not over-ordering, as we've seen an awful lot of that. But, and I think it's been driven by the behaviour of potentially the suppliers that have been saying, look, you know, instead of ordering, you know, 10 containers of that product, we've got 15 available, why don't you take them? Because if you don't, somebody else will. There's There's definitely been a lot of that going on which has meant that a year down the road with the kind of the bullwhip effect that there's this product being sat on and there's a lot of inventory sitting around. So that's the first thing. 
so forecasting i guess would be the first thing and then the second thing would just be that diversification of supply base you know it's really difficult to replace um or, or not even replace but to kind of have a plan b to china for so many commodities and so many products particularly in the consumer world and and you know we've we've seen you know the, we've seen so much of a rise in 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 turkey and vietnam and bangladesh and, and places like that they can't they simply can't rival china but but we're, we're seeing some of those behaviors returning at pace and also a little bit more nearshoring i guess that they're the areas that we see the, the, the our customers kind of focusing on in the short to medium term to try to put their arms around the problems that are being faced um that's that's kind of it at the moment what are they what are they using though to forecast demand since when you when you think about the variability of demand and even looking at historical trends they've been distorted for a variety of reasons what are some of the specific you know metrics that that are meaningful enough for suppliers to really understand um, how to align what they're producing and for buyers to determine what it is they need to buy in order to meet customer customer demand. Yeah, I mean it's 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 not easy, Karen. It is is the truth. I mean, I think that the the, the companies that have the clout with the supply base. But we see a lot of them still maintaining that fast fashion kind of approach of, you know, testing right. a skew or five or ten, making a short run for them, using air freight to deploy the inventory quickly, and then seeing what works and what doesn't. But but, but only the companies that have got the, you know, the, the wherewithal and the clout with the supply base are able to do that. I, I, I think that we we probably see a bit more of a narrowing of of skew ranges with certain customers particularly right. in e-commerce that there's that kind of a bit of an effort to eradicate the tail because the tail can be the problem so you know we we, we definitely right. see that but but our customer base I can only speak to that is so varied but but that's kind of the best thing we can do and I think the other thing is that there are some um you know there are some tools available um, that that we work with, and, and and we have a couple of them embedded in some of our tech that a lot of our customers use that give them some more metrics surrounding forecasting and demand planning, as opposed to you know the the sitting around the and the market sitting around the room and the marketing team are going to say we're going to sell this much, we're going to do this, we're going right. to do that. Right. Actually, trying to put some right. some maths right. behind that and some actual specifics to try to tie that to what the actual buy is versus what the actual sell should be. So, so we're definitely seeing a little bit more focus on that kind of attention, probably in the, more so than what I've ever seen, certainly in the last four to six months. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've noticed too, just as a, as a shopper, um, a lot of the things now are, are not available immediately. They're available, you know, five to 10 days to ship. So it, it's almost as if they're taking orders and then producing these, this is for, for, for apparel, producing the goods and shipping, which I think speaks to some of the things that you're talking about. Um, I want to, I want to move on to this, this notion of globalization though. Our, our keynote speaker today, Vaclav Smeal, who 
wrote the book, How the World Really Works, um, devotes a chapter to globalization. And his, his belief, backed by data, is that globalization will fade as companies take back control of their destiny, particularly as they've, they've seen such disruption over the last several years, but even, even before that. If he's right, how does that impact not only the flow of goods, but the flow of capital in and out of the economies who are really production economies today, not consumption economies? David Messenger, do you want to take that one? Sure. I, yeah, I mean, I think clearly we've, we've had a golden age of globalization where that seemed to be the driving factor and you know, that age is over. So it is going to get rebalanced, I think. Um, I think the the key thing uh, what the keynote speaker talks about in terms of you know taking control of their own destiny, um, really understanding what does that mean, because mm-hmm. I think it really means to me it comes back to this issue of resilience and diversification. It's saying you know no one can afford to have all their eggs in one basket. Up until recently, China has been the manufacturing hub for the world, and right. people who solely relied on that as their supply chain obviously face problems, and particularly with the risk of ongoing shutdowns in China and disruptions there, you you have to broaden the base. So I think it's about becoming more diversified, more multipolar, and looking at having redundancy in your supply chains is Mm -hmm. going to be the key way in which this happens. I don't think there is going to be the broad decoupling that some people talk about. In certain strategic industries, yes, there will be, but, you know, there are a few places in the world that can compete with China for manufacturing, both right, on quality, right. technical capability, as well as value. So I think there's going to be some rebalancing. Certainly, we see that already. Vietnam, other Southeast Asian countries yep. are starting to develop those capabilities. But China built those capabilities over 20, 30 years. Yeah, it's going right. to take some time for other countries to give that optionality to people trying to balance their supply chain. So uh, Fashion is one of the easy ones. That has already moved yeah. significantly. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that, in some cases, is Chinese companies setting up factories in Vietnam and other locations. So we're gonna, that's the trend I think we're going to see. I think the... Yeah, no, I think he, yeah he, he, does, he does agree that it will take time. It's not, it's yeah, not an overnight Yeah. yeah. So I think it'll yeah. be you know, more uh, broadly based than it has been. Uh, I think in terms of capital flows, clearly... This, you know, given the current situation and the tensions with China on multiple levels, I do think we will see greater focus on other Southeast Asian countries in particular as being uh, good candidate, good countries for direct investment and capital flows moving to those countries. Some of that capital is going to come from China. China is very active uh, in yeah. investing not only the Belt and Road infrastructure type yeah. Yeah. of investments, but they've got yeah. the capital uh private capital to invest overseas as well. So I think we'll see a rise in that in particular. Uh, I think that's the region where I see the greatest shift. I think the situation in uh, South America is not going to change as much. Africa is not going to change as much. So that's that's where I see certainly the short to medium term focus being. Dave, I want to I want to turn back to something that that David mentioned earlier in the conversation, and that is the the flow of information, real-time information is being critical to the resilience of 
supply chain and flow. How are you solving for that? And, and what is the killer real-time information app for logistics platforms these days? For us and for, and for any customer, visibility at every level of the supply chain is, 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 is key. And, and the more information that a, a logistics provider like us can get is, is, the, is the better. I, th- I think that where there's always been a fundamental kind of disconnect that is over and above the normal, you know, merchant and customer and logistics provider um, kind of relationship is, is more to do with how goods are made and, and the full critical path of, of a supply chain. And I, and I think we're increasingly seeing, you know, more of our customers asking us to get more involved in that their critical path of their products, not just from when they're made or from when they're about to be completed so that we can, you know, ship them, whether that's by air or parcel or sea or whatever. But, but even before that, so, so, so you know, we can actually look at, you know, the management of the products, the componentry that's flowing into the manufacturer to allow them to to actually make the product. Now that kind of that kind of data, that kind of information in certain industries such as automotive and 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 tech has been a big part of that supply chain for a long time. But we're starting to see that flowing into other areas of supply chain where the the, the merchant really needs the reassurance that you know that the, the the manufacturer is going to be able to complete on time and in full their order. So, so you know, and it goes back to what David said. You know, the the, the cotton t-shirt was the easiest part of manufacturing to outsource. You know, when I was first in the business years ago, I was working in you know Mauritius and Madagascar, where you know American brands were sourcing from Chinese factories 25 years ago in Mauritius and Madagascar because the easiest thing to make was a cotton t-shirt. So so, so it, it's the same thing that we're, we're seeing the same thing that, that they just need that ability or they want to get to that ability to see all of the moving parts. That can be challenging because obviously a lot of those moving parts aren't in our part view. That's not our business to even ask the manufacturer to see that. But that's the kind of challenges that are being thrown our way to, to, to make sure that our, because our customers, some of them, well, a lot of them just don't have the ability to, to manage that themselves. So they're looking for answers and looking for help. Um, and then in the primary supply chain, it's, it's all about that managing because of the capacity constraints, the ability to forecast is so critical now. You know, a good forecast four or five years ago was a really nice to have. Now it's 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 absolutely vital that the customer is paying attention to their their forecast, giving us as much notice so that we can do something to make the capacity for them. And and we know it's tough, particularly in in ecom and B two C, where the demand is very up and down. But there has to be a core knowledge of of okay this is the path this is how it's gonna look it might deviate five or ten percent off of this um which we can deal with what we can't deal with is you know 50 75 100 percent deviations from what we originally were told because chances are when the goods are ready it, it could be a struggle to move them on certain markets yeah 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 
I mean, there, there, are, a lot, there are a lot of dependencies that, um, that influence how obviously products move, but, but also when they move, therefore when um, buyers can take delivery and, uh, and therefore sell them to their, to their end customers. It's, it's, it's certainly complex, always been complex, but other variables today create added layers of complexity that's hard for anyone to really manage. David, I, I'm going to turn the conversation you know, about the flow of money because clearly information is one thing, how sellers are paid is another. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on how you're managing the flow of capital when there are so many variables with respect to the procurement of goods, the movement of goods, but yet the the seller's ability to get paid um, for what they have provided buyers in a time frame that's relevant for them. Yeah, well, on the flow of money side, it's you know, one thing uh, which is critical is it's based on data, uh, just as on you know it's moving goods, it's moving money, but it's moving data. So the key thing is you know having the right data. But once you've got the data, the flow of money really you know the expectation now is it should be real time, and certainly we. You know, we've built our global business payments network so that we we provide real time, twenty four seven access to funds cross border uh, for our customers. And it, but it's it speed is only one aspect. It is one. It's got to be right. So one is it's got you got to the right data. Um, so you send the money the right amount at the right time to the right person, uh, and it's got to be it's got to be reliable. So you've got to have that end to end control the flow of funds. And certainly our model was built on this uh, concept that we've got to have that control and end-to-end uh, set of licenses, set of capabilities to support our customers wherever they're selling. And so we can guarantee that they will get their, their, guests, get their funds uh, reliably and also in real time. So it's, I think the, the flow of funds is really driven first by reliability and finding the right financial partner who can uh, guarantee your payments will arrive uh, correctly, then it's speed, uh, and then it's pricing. And payments is obviously a price competitive business and scale business. You know, that's some some parts of the world, it's more driven by pricing. China is very price sensitive, and it's a very mature, very competitive market. Uh, US and Europe, are they care about price, but it is less about price. I think it's the reliability and ease of use, uh, more primary factors. But certainly we bring kind of a pricing model, which is, I think, going to potentially disrupt uh, some expectations in those markets. Uh, and I think that's that's how we look at it. But it's more and more uh, as sellers are not just selling through one channel. They may be doing B2C e-commerce and they've got one set of uh, payment needs there. They're also doing B2B trade. Um, again, they're diversifying their business, finding new countries, finding new ways to sell them. And so you've got to have the flexible payments infrastructure that can be coordinated, API linked and coordinated with logistics providers, with other partners, so that you know when to send the money and where it's going and split payments appropriately. So one of the factors that's certainly causing complexity in this is increasing regulation around the world. And a great example of that is the VAT, the VAT regulations in Europe, which have caused a lot of friction and suppressed uh, probably a reasonable amount of cross-border trade into Europe. And so I think coming up with new solutions 
And this is where there's a lot of synergy between the payments, the fintech industry and the logistics industry is finding out how can you handle those regulatory challenges and manage the data requirements uh, for meeting them in an automated, you know, real-time way uh, that makes that trade seamless again, even for the small to medium sellers. So I think, go ahead. Oh, yeah, it's always got to be in the local currency. And, you know, so I think, you know, it's just a core capability for any cross-border seller now is to have, you know, like our globally wallets, with multi-currency wallets allows you to receive any currency, manage your currencies and your FX, make your payments in different local currencies. You, as you diversify, you really need that sort of flexible financial platform to support the business. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been a great conversation. We have to wrap. I have one final question I'd love to get your, your thoughts um, around, and that is, um, what is the one word each of you would use to describe holiday 2022 from the buyer's perspective? Dave, I'll start with you. <laughs> That's a very, very uh, good, good question, Karen. From the from the buyer's perspective, I, I would say it's 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 going to be very, very um, interesting. To see what to see what transpires, <laughs> I, I wouldn't like to. I wouldn't like to lay a put a pen down as to what's going to happen. I've never I've never seen so much uncertainty in the logistics business, particularly in the e-commerce business, as I've seen in the last six eight months. It's just been it like we were speaking wow. earlier, Karen. It's just been like every day there's something. So I, I would I would use the word interesting if that was allowable. Well, you know, that's like telling a woman she looks fine. I mean, it's generally not a good thing. Interesting is one of those one of those words, Dave. I'll let it, I'll let it pass, David. David uh, Messinger, you have the you have the final word. Thank you. Don't use interesting. <laughs> no, um, I would use the word muted. Uh, I think muted. Muted. Uh, I think holiday season is not going to be a time of celebration. Uh, I think it is. Uh, you know, people are anxious, they are uncertain, and they are going to yeah. be muted in what decisions they make. They're going to be very you know, much more cautious than they have been the last few years. Uh, and there right. are so many factors at play here, um, at the macroeconomic level, down to the more local level, that uh, I think it's going to be more of a wait and see, um, a quiet, muted holiday season. Interesting and muted. Uh, interesting words to describe holiday 2022. Thanks to both of you for such great insights and such an enjoyable conversation today. Thanks again for your time. We'll be back soon. Many thanks, Karen.